Hello, sunshine. Hello, sunshine. Hello, sunshine. Gotta make hay while the sun shines. What's this? This is Hello, Sunshine. What if by sharing our stories, we could change the world? Welcome to Hello, Sunshine. I'm Diane Guerrero, and this is How It Is, the show where you hear women tell their own stories in their own words. We're unfiltered, real, and totally ourselves. Today's episode is all about freedom, getting to the point where we're not just surviving, but flourishing. You're a queen. What do you think when you hear the word freedom? Flags? Fireworks? Okay, that's one kind of freedom. But you know how we do on how it is. We get personal, real personal. So maybe the better question is, when do you feel really free? I feel most free in a car with the windows down. When I'm in nature. I feel free when I'm with people who are working together as a team. I feel free when I'm laughing. On the Gulf of Mexico with my wife on our boat. I feel free when I am at home cooking. At home in Miami, outside on my rocking chair with no schedule. I think I feel freest when I'm laughing so hard my belly hurts and I snort. Feeling so much joy that I lose all sense of being proper or remembering that there are rules that we're supposed to follow. I love feeling free. I love feeling like nobody's watching me. What about you, Reese? Well, I'm a mother of three children, so I don't really feel free very often. I usually leave my full-time job and go to my other full-time job, which is parenting. But I feel free when all my children are in one place. Mothers will understand this. Like if all my kids are in the same room and I have nothing in front of me, like I have no scripts to read, no what I call homework at night, and I just get to relax with them and maybe watch a movie, that is total freedom for me. I also feel really free in my hometown, Nashville, Tennessee. For some reason, the minute the plane lands, I just, I feel free. And I don't, I think maybe it's just the comfort of being home or being known or that everybody knew me before I was anything in the world. And they loved me. They loved me anyway. You know, they loved me for who I was as little Reese Witherspoon. (laughs) Aw, little Reese Witherspoon. So cute. So... We all have moments where we feel free. But what kind of work does it take to get us there? To get to a point where we really feel free and relaxed with ourselves. Because honestly, a lot of us have a lot of things that we're trying to be free from. Free from our guilt, free from our fear, and some of us, free from our trauma. The Me Too movement has taught us that being honest about our experiences and our trauma is so transformative. It's transformative for us as individuals and also for our whole culture. And it's our first step to healing and becoming free from it. 
So now that we've shed a light on some of the darkness, let's map a path out of it. Today on the show, we have Nicole Bowen Crawford, an Army veteran who has so many lessons to teach us about how to heal and flourish despite our pain. And Krista Tippett, the host of the On Being podcast and a spiritual guide for so many people. These two women have figured out something important. Finding freedom from the things that hold us back is a process. You know when you say a word a million times in a row and it stops even sounding like a real word? Self-care is so buzzwordy right now. But self-care is real. Self-care can save your life. Military veteran Nicole Bowen Crawford knows how it is. Nicole was in her 20s when she was first deployed to Iraq during Operation Iraqi Freedom. Her unit was one of the first to go into combat. But she didn't just experience combat. She was also sexually assaulted by a fellow service member. I came to join the military in college. I was um, a junior in college at Arizona State University. My partner, my lab partner, was in the reserves. And she was dating a recruiter. Um, And it just sounded like a great way to find adventure. And I think part of me was scared to live a conventional life, the kind of life that my parents had planned out for me, you know, where you finish college and you get married and you buy a track home in the suburbs and, and have a few kids. I couldn't see myself doing that. I was in a relationship that was heading in that direction. Um, and I wasn't happy. It took the army to, to have me end the relationship. Going through basic training was really hard for me. I am a really sensitive person, and I was just constantly crying. I remember being in the line to eat, and we'd have to yell out our the last four of our social security number. I had to like, <laughs> I had to hold the frog in my throat to keep to not let anyone know that I I would cry in that line because we had you know a, a moment of silence while we waited before we set our social security number. And I had to say it in a confident way that didn't let anyone know that I was completely weak. But I somehow managed to get through basic training. I kind of triumphed over feeling like I couldn't do any of it to, you know, what the hell am I doing here? You know, and I went from failing at, at being like the worst marksman ever to just like passing and failing my run to passing my run you know, getting through it, I had a few other women who were in my um, bunk area that really encouraged me. You know, it was kind of those connections that, that kept me sane. So I did it. I got the orders to go to Iraq in December 2002. We initially went into Kuwait um, because we hadn't yet invaded Iraq. There was a team of about seven of us that needed to move forward uh, with Operation Iraqi Freedom. I was the only female of the of the group chosen to go. I was actually asked uh, by the first sergeant, maybe because I was a woman, do you do you want to go? I answered right away. It wasn't even something that I thought about. I said yes. So after we got to Iraq, I was working the night shift. One of the sergeants came in. It was later. Everyone was asleep and closed the door and sexually assaulted me. 
afterwards, I I shared the information with uh, my supervisor, and I was advised to not report it um, just because of retaliation and, and the consequences that would come from reporting it. You know, and I chose not to report it. I guess just being in that kind of environment, being one of the few women in Iraq at that time, I definitely experienced a lot of sexual harassment. Um, you know, I would get proposition for sex almost on a daily basis. We weren't allowed to go anywhere without someone else. We weren't allowed to walk alone at night. The women weren't allowed. I got offered money for sex. These were the people I was serving in Iraq with, other service members who were supposed to be like family. I was worried about whether I was going to live or die with, you know, I didn't know. I was driving back and forth from Iraq to Kuwait and bombs were going off and IEDs and people weren't making it. And another whole other layer to it was, you know, I was being harassed and I was assaulted. It just, it definitely broke me eventually. After that, I signed out of the army and, you know, I thought I was free. Um, I thought I was free of it all. It took me about five years before I moved to Seattle, where I took a job as a veterans outreach coordinator, where I was helping other veterans access their benefits, take PTSD assessments. You know, doing those assessments with the veterans and hearing their stories, their stories reminded me of my story. And I started to discover, you know, oh, I've got PTSD. I do these things. It just came on like a floodgate. They called it delayed onset PTSD, where it's not there. And then suddenly, it's completely there. I went from being able to function to not to not being able to get out of bed for work. I started just being completely depressed thinking about suicide every day. I was frozen and just debilitated and surprised and taken off guard. Thankfully, the short-term disability got approved and I was able to, um, to start the process of healing. I've done everything. I got Reiki treatments. I also paint. Art has been really healing for me. If you name it, I've done it, you know cranial sacral treatments. I've had those. I've had a sound energy healer. Um, I started doing hot yoga. I Once a week, even now, I, I go um, into the sensory deprivation chamber and float. I've done hypnotherapy, psychotherapy, pretty much any type of therapy I've done it. Karen, my therapist in Seattle, is an HBLU practitioner, and, and that stands for healing from the body level up. It's a type of therapy where it really gets you in touch with the feelings, you know, where you're housing the trauma in your body. And um, they use muscle testing and tapping to help you release the trauma. And it's pretty amazing because you don't really have to go through and, and talk about your trauma so much as talking about the beliefs that you've created because of the trauma or as a result of the trauma about yourself and the world. The HBLU is what I really needed to let go of, of the past and to find self-acceptance in all the parts of myself that I completely wanted to disown as soon as the PTSD showed up. 
because it's it's hard to love that. It's been years and years of work. I had the original goal of getting rid of my PTSD, not having it anymore. And with all of this work that I do and have done and continue to do, PTSD isn't gone. Um, but my thoughts are so much better. Every day I, I keep a gratitude list and I write down what's wonderful about my life, at least five things. And then I have an kind of an affirmation app I use. Um, it's called Mind Movies. Um, where you can like add pictures and affirmations and music and you can watch it. And it's just like a few minutes a day. It's helped me. I, um, I went from wanting to kill myself to actually liking my life. The whole process of learning to like myself with all of my flaws created the space for me to start believing that, you know, if I could start to like my life, then Maybe, I mean, at the time it seemed impossible, maybe I could have some things in my life that I really want beyond just not wanting to kill myself. Um, And so I started to dream a little bigger and I wanted to find love and I wanted to have kids. I was 34 when I met Bill. He loved me the way that I was. You know, and we we became friends. We fell in love, and we've got two kids. I, I've started believing in dreams again. Yeah, I still have PTSD, and I still have to take really good care of myself. Switching over to gratitude has created a, an open door for me to love my life, love who I am, accept who I am, and um, start dreaming a little bit bigger every day, and that I matter there's always hope. <sighs> wow. And that's really difficult to listen to. It's tough to, uh, that like this woman who's already doing something that's extraordinary. I, I hope Nicole knows that she's not alone and that it's a significant thing that she's doing by sharing her story because the more we share our stories... And the more we talk about these traumas and struggles openly, the freer we can become from them. And it's such an important thing to remember. There is always hope. Sometimes it may not feel like it, but it's there. Okay, now we're going to hear from the great Krista Tippett. You might know her as the host of On Being, a radio show and podcast that tries to figure out what it means to be human today. You know, simple stuff. She is so wise. She is an author, a theologian, a journalist, and even worked as a diplomat in Cold War Berlin. In 2014, President Obama awarded Krista the National Humanities Medal at the White House. I mean... That's pretty badass. Krista has devoted her life to helping others find meaning in their lives, but she's also struggled to get there for years. As Krista says, she got free by staying focused on the joyous work of being alive, and she's ready to do anything she can to help our culture do it too. We all have these traumas. We have our things, right? We have our our neuroses. We have our inner drama. 
on a personal level, I had some episodes of really serious depression in my 30s. And I think, you know, one feature of depression is that it's not just that you can't figure out how to get through to the other side. It's that you can't imagine that another side exists, right? That you, that your imagination completely closes in on itself. It's a long, long process beyond that. And I don't think you, you ever, you never stop living with it. And I think also you can't even talk about what you got out of it until years later, uh, right? Like that's not even a reasonable discussion to have with someone. But my depression has definitely formed me. And in fact, I would say that I couldn't be the person I am today if that experience weren't part of my experience and that it opens me to darkness in the world and to others in a way that I would not have if this weren't like in, you know, the fabric of who I am, even now as I am flourishing. What I learned from wise people is that you don't become yourself, you don't become whole, you don't flourish because you overcome that or in spite of it. You become whole and you become bigger because you integrate that thing into your sense of self and that becomes a gift you bring to the world it's healing as opposed to fixing and i think you know me too and so many of the things that are emerging now are about progress we thought we'd made and again there's something natural in this because because human change takes time we did make a lot of progress, but we didn't pull it all the way through. And a lot of inconsistencies and damaging behaviors and norms remained. And so now we enter this moment where we see, where suddenly things become where we can't unsee them. We're at the moment where we see what is broken, and we have to create those new forms. And we don't necessarily have the models in front of us us for what that will look like. When I look at this moment we're in, I'm, I'm think, spending a lot of time and energy thinking about how we walked into this moment, and I think that's really important reflection for us to understand how we walk out of it. It's a moment of awakening. You know, in Buddhism, waking up is the language, is the metaphor for spiritual growth. As well, there's incredible promise. And I think it's important that we are fierce about seeing both, like seeing what has to be healed and what has and the and who has to be protected, right? Also seeing the vulnerability that's there and the trauma that's there. You know, being fierce about the opportunity to create new realities. And I think part of not repeating the mistake of the past is that we do this with great intentionality this time. I want us to be really audacious in this moment on our front lines of gender and on our front lines of race and say that what we want to do is create loving structures and a loving and figure out what love can look like in public because you know what what we have actually honored now is what hate looks like and like not honored but acknowledged we have acknowledged the power of hate Right. We've acknowledged the power exercised in a way that is demeaning and hateful, in fact, in, in effect. 
it's messy, but the best things in life are messy. They are worth, like, getting in the muck. <laughs> Honestly, just listening to Krista's voice makes me feel like everything is going to be okay. I'm putting Listen to Krista Tippett Talk About Anything on my own self-care list. Check, check, check. If you haven't yet, check out her podcast at onbeing.org. You won't regret it. I've learned so much from Nicole and Krista about how to face down darkness and what we can all do to fight our way out of it as individuals and as a culture. It's not about pretending everything is fixed. It's about learning how to carry the truth with grace and humor and taking care of ourselves along the way. That's how we get free. Not by running from our struggles, but by facing them so that we can all truly feel free. That, my friends, is how it is. So that's a wrap for this episode. Next week is our season finale. Can you believe it? And it's a good one. We'll be talking about power, having it, getting it, and using it. You'll hear from Glennon Doyle, Ellen Powell, and Lena Waithe. The power that I have to own and give myself, I have the power to be a good boss. I have the power to be uh, a good collaborator. I have the power to be out, you know, and say, hey, other gay black celebrities who are not out, this is ridiculous. We all need to be out and be ourselves and be free and stop trying to fit into the mold and all this other bullshit. I think there's a power that the world gives us, but the power that we have innately is one that we have to always find and search and figure out the best way to use our powers for good. Ooh, this is going to be so good. In the meantime, I want to hear from you. What makes you feel free? Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. We're at Hello Sunshine. To get more info and ideas about the stories you heard today, visit our website, hello-sunshine.com. On this episode of How It Is, you heard from Nicole Bowen Crawford, Krista Tippett, and me. I'm Diane Guerrero. I am a Latina. I am an author, an actress, an activist. I am a human being, a citizen of this universe, and this is How It Is. How It Is is a production of Hello Sunshine. It is executive produced by Amy S. Choi, Rebecca Lair, and Reese Witherspoon. Our senior producers are Jillian Ferguson and Michelle Lambs, and our producer is Charlotte Coe. Sound designed by Jocelyn Gonzalez. Our theme song, Queen, is written and performed by Victoria Canal. I'm Ron Burgundy, and this is me signing off. <laughs>